The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, it's a crypto meltdown. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin all getting crushed after China and South Korea crack down on mining and trading. But there's one cryptocurrency that Sergi and BK says is a streaming buy. We'll tell you what it is and how you can buy it later this hour. Plus, Stocks are at record highs, and there is one name that's having an incredible start to the year. It could be just the beginning of an even bigger comeback. We will explain. But first, we start off with a record day for the markets. The Dow surging more than triple digits, closing at a record high and adding to an already big jump start to 2018. Yeah, are you tired of winning yet? <laughs> Look no further than President Trump's huge tax cut for corporate America. Walmart, just the latest company to announce higher wages and bonuses thanks to the billions of dollars in relief from the U.S. government. It's happening right before our eyes. The S&P adding half a trillion dollars in market cap since the tax cuts passed in November. Raising the question, are these the greatest tax cuts ever? Which stocks will benefit the most as there's more money in Americans' pockets, Grosso? This is the greatest tax cut. It depends on how you look at it. If you look at it as a percentage of GDP, it's not the greatest tax cut ever, right? It's way down on that list of tax cuts in the, in the history of America. But if you look at it on the corporate side, going from 35% to 21%, the greatest tax cuts we've ever seen. You know, the last time the corporate tax rate was at, was at this level in 1940. Really? So it's impossible for me to say that the tax cuts are in the market. They can't be in the market right now. You know what else is in the market? Infrastructure. So the rebuild of the country's roads are not in the market. Inflation, reinflation trade, not in the market yet. Energy, materials, industrial. Hold on a second, though, Steve. I mean, we've had a reflation trade for 18 months. Still and going. If you look at, but if you look at commodity, well, I, I actually agree with you, but you can't say it's not in the market. The question is, how much is there? How much is left? And, and, how much is left? And that's the key. And, and I think the other side of this that, that really we need to think about is if you think about where, how much octane has been thrown on this market. When Walmart starts handing out monopoly money, um, we've heard about the other corporates that are doing it. By the way, it tells you what I think the, what, what corporate America got away with on this tax bill. And, and I will express that I don't think we needed to go from 38 to 21 overnight. Why do you say what uh, corporate America got away with, though? Why is it not a beneficiary because to the rest of it? A hundred million people in this country own stock. Because I, How I is think it not the, great because the I think the effective tax rate for a lot of these corporates was already um, well below 38. In fact, it was probably significantly lower. And I think there we're could have been a little bit more. We're not competitive globally, that, though, that's, Tim. That's garbage. I mean, we why are competitive. Why, why, why it does, do you say it's it garbage? Look, you have companies that are going broad. We're having a oh, different so conversation. I don't want to debate the validity having, of the tax yeah, cuts. I mean, this the is not the conversation I came here to have. The debate here is whether or not they're in the markets, whether or not this is good for the American The answer is no. You can buy every sector, every space. They are not in the market. We don't. 
don't know how they're going to spend this money. But, but you know, what I have to say is that we've had an enormous run. Consumer confidence is at 17-year highs. We've had a place here where everybody thinks nothing bad can happen. Volatility is too low, and that scares me. I'm sorry. I, I do think that the places that are more representative of where you're going to get follow-through from this tax cut mm -hmm. are the consumer sectors, are definitely the banks and in retail. These are places where I think they were probably less than competitive, and I think these guys were going from 38 so to 21. So there will be a, good, a positive impact on those sectors. Look, it's, 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 obvious, it's obvious that there has been, but to say that this is, this is I think we're starting to see the types but, of moves in people so, and in behavior that comes you know, before there's at least so you some should be selling, selling your it, entire it, portfolio, not to be, not to be. Let's spread our portfolio. I mean, so I think probably what's not it, to me, what's not necessarily in the market, what has, what is a surprise uh, to the market here, is the amount of uh, wage increases that we've seen over the last couple of days. Nobody expected that. Nobody predicted that you'd get a thousand dollar bonus or Walmart would increase their minimum wage. Uh, so that is something that's new for the market. So then you have to start thinking, okay, so where are people going to spend that money? You have to look at, you know, consumer discretionary. Those type of things, to me, yep. are the places that have not been priced in. We can argue about how much the tax code has been priced in. I agree that we don't know what kind of infrastructure or how that money is going to spend. There's some kind of multiplier to it. But what I do know is people have more money in their pocket. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's been completely priced in, but I do think, I mean, I, I'm happy to own what I own, right? So I love a day like this because I make money. But I'd like, to, with Tim, I get a little nervous because this wage increase, right? We're seeing that. We're seeing commodity price moving up. Look at oil. That really starts to get me nervous about inflation. And so when you think about what, what drives valuation in a market, obviously it's PE multiples and what is the risk-free rate, right. right? So if we start to see inflation and we start to see rates increase, that, to me, is the biggest, most likely fly in the ointment. And is that why you're concerned about it? Well, look, if you look at the wholesale index uh, of prices and you're talking about things like resins, rubber, um, asphalt, these things are going up. They're about to break out to fresh highs. I, I, look, I've been, I've been long a lot of this stuff for 18 months. I'm not upset about it. I'm telling you that I think inflation is something that's very real. I think the Fed is behind the curve. I think people don't have four Fed hikes priced in this year. And, and I'm looking at the rest of the world. If Europe is truly starting to normalize but even that's a little we heard, bit, we heard that's going to have a big impact price here. Targeting. Yeah, but, they're not going for straight inflation targets. They're priced targeting. So a ballpark in the area. So I wouldn't worry about inflation. We're coming from such a low rate that I don't think that's, the, that's, that's a world of hurt. I hear. I think if we were on this path that they've laid out, then that's fine. A surprise inflationary spike, though, that to me is what really has the potential to, to sort of throw a wrench into things. I do think, though, the other part of the, that is driving that isn't fully in there is the worldwide global growth story. Right, being which has probably early, been early. a fuel for the reflection well, trade up right. till now. Of course, without, in, without infrastructure, though. But that's that's the flying oil. That's the upside. So that's well, it's, it's kind of it's, it's right? a double-edged sword here, right? So we have this global synchronized growth that everybody's talking about. Now look at what's happening to the U.S. dollar. It's starting to, I mean, it already has weakened, but it looks like it's going to take another leg lower here. So now I have international companies, U.S. companies that do business internationally, that are going to get a tailwind from the lower U.S. dollar. And I've got global growth. That's very good for the stock market. The other side of that, the double-edged sword of that, is we're already seeing reflation. So the dollar's going lower. That's going to accelerate it, to Karen's point. That could be the surprise inflationary So indulge impulse. me. What do you buy? Given all that, what do you buy? You, you buy... What do you stay long? You buy what do you sell? Ultimate, what do you do? You buy the ultimate consumer stock, Apple. Because that's what people are going to spend. Everybody wants a new shiny phone or a new shiny mm -hmm. iPad or something. You buy Apple. 
I think, it, look, we had great, we had best GDP out in six years out of Germany this morning. We had industrial production that's up 3.2 percent. You buy European banks. Uh, again, the, the, the euro will be 130 before the end of the year, and the bund will be over 1 percent. The European banks are trading cheapest price to tangible book. This is obvious to me, and this is the second phase of this trade. Uh, again, to be clear, global growth is a good thing. I think emerging markets, by the way, if you hedge off whatever dollar risk you think you have there, uh, they have to go higher, and I did more of that today. Well, our next guest says the tax cuts are already priced in and has yet to go full bull. Why not? <laughs> Bring in Mike Wilson, chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. What's holding you back, Mike? Well, I think as we probably got a little excited last year in anticipation of what's happening now, uh, it's sort of a sell the news. I mean, everything we talked about, global synchronous recovery, uh, the fact that rates remain low and pinned, allowed multiples to expand, uh, the tax cuts. I mean, these are things that the market figured out last year. And then, of course, now we got a capitulation in the last couple of months. And we're finally starting to see the euphoria that we predicted at the beginning of 2017. doesn't mean it's over. In fact, overbought markets can be a very bullish signal. But I'm kind of in Tim's camp. I, I, look, the global reflation story started in 2016, right? The reflationary trade has been in, in gear. And we're still there. And we think it's going to continue. But I would be very surprised if in 2018 we don't see a peak in the reflation trade. Okay, so the opposite of what people are kind of worried about. I don't think we get killed by rates. I think we get killed by the growth rate peaking out again. Doesn't mean recession, but that deceleration is going to cause a rotation back towards probably defensives at some point. Now we're still geared towards the cyclicals for now. In fact, we're full bore on that. And of the cyclicals, we think energy is the best risk reward because it really lagged. And there's a real fundamental story there between supply and demand and earnings revisions have turned up. Yeah. So let me ask something. How, if you had it priced in for last year, how did you have it priced in when it really wasn't clear that it was actually going to happen until very, very, very late in the year? Yeah. And it came together very quickly at the end. How could that already be priced in for well, last year? Yeah. Well, the market didn't price it until the end. I'm saying our price target last year assumed it was going to happen, which is why we had a 2700 target for last year. So, you know, then, of course, it eventually happened in November and December. It got priced. So here we are, 2750. It, it's hard for me to get excited about something that I think has been somewhat priced. But, but what is being priced, either it was priced last year by you or priced this year by people who are slower in the markets, is this mechanical change in the corporate tax rate. What mm -hmm. is maybe not being priced is a sort of the ancillary effects of that, and that is companies like Walmart or Fifth Third yeah. increasing the wage rates for their workers. I mean, Absolutely. how does that, or, or increasing consumption, right? Or uh, increasing which we're capital see. expenditures. I mean, right. has that been priced? So in let's let's talk about. So the first order effects, I think, have been priced, meaning to going from third. For, first of all, the tax cuts came sooner than we thought, mm -hmm. and they were a little bit bigger, which is why we got to our target a little faster, right? And we could overshoot that. So we're not adverse to the idea that we're going to overshoot here, but that's a speculative move. That's a much lower quality move. Okay, let's go back though to the second order effects. The second order effects have not been priced. To your point, Melissa, I agree. Some companies are going to see benefits on the top line, but many companies are going to see detrimental effects from higher wage costs, uh, pricing it away, uh, higher energy prices as the economy overheats. And that's the part where I think, so the, the beta trade's over, okay? Now it's about the alpha trade. And this is where I think it's going to be very interesting over the course of the next two quarters, where you're going to make a lot more money trying to pick stocks and sectors where companies have overestimated or perhaps or investors have overestimated or where they perhaps underestimated the benefits of tax. So, That's Mike, when we start off the show, we said, is the tax cut priced in? So going through all of your mechanisms in your calculus, you would say it's priced in for some sectors, not for all. But as a whole, does the market move higher, much higher, substantially higher from here? Yeah, I think the market's going to overshoot in the first half of the year. And so our bull case is 3000, which I think we get in the first half. 
Okay, and then I, but then here's the thing. I think in the second half, the market realizes this is a lower quality earnings increase. Okay, I think it's very hard to argue that just the, because of the tax rate. Absolutely. Okay. In other words, a tax increase uh, increase on earnings is a very it's a very different type of increase on earnings than what we got the last two years, which is revenue growth and margin expansion. Uh, I firmly believe, and we've written about this. I think that the operating margins, okay, incremental operating margins, are likely to peak this year. So what you're going to see is earnings go up, but operating margins come down. That's lower quality. But I don't think the market will figure that out right away. I think it'll take a little time. It, it sounds like you, you think then this was a terrible tax cut because it's it's throwing gas on a fire that was already lit. Totally. And and that we're getting to a place where this is going to be you know ephemeral <laughs> you know in some way. And so um, and that in fact the consumption trade isn't really happening. I mean this is all about trickle down economics, but you don't well, believe that. Let's let's separate the the timing versus the idea. Corporate tax cuts a very good idea, and it's good for structural growth. So it actually makes my secular bull case you know stronger. Okay. Timing was horrendous, okay? And actually, the Senate originally discussed moving this, not doing this until 2019. That would have been smart. But of course, politics got elections. in the way, and we accelerated to 2018. And I agree with you, Tim, 100%. It's like throwing gas on a burning fire. It, all it does is truncate the cycle. All it does is truncate it. That's not the end of the world. But let's not kid ourselves on what we're actually doing here. We're accelerating an economy that's already below full employment. We're already seeing signs of building inflation pressures and tightness in other supply chains. Well, so we, we were three, caught. Sorry, Melissa. We, we, were caught, we were caught in a GDP that we couldn't get out of our own way. Right. So who is it to say that maybe this was what was supposed to get us over the hump? Since the last eight years, we couldn't get over three percent. Like I so, said. Well, I, like I said, there's there, the secular stagnation theme. It's absolutely correct. Right. That's where we, you know, we, we made a call on this in 16 was that we think secular stagnation ended. And part of the reason is because fiscal policy, the lever that needs to be pulled to use the cheap money is what's going to get us into a, a full secular bull. So great idea. It's going to still work in that regard. OK, but in the very short term, from a cyclical standpoint, mm, I'm not sure that this is the right policy at this time. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out right now. The market loves it. At some point during 2018, my guess is we're going to get a, we're going to get a transfer. I think Karen brought up a great point about rates. We've always said 275 is where the equity risk premium starts to wobble a little bit, right? We're getting close to 275. So, and if you get to three, I absolutely believe they're going to see a money move back from stocks towards bonds. That's where the, there is no alternative becomes. No, there actually is an alternative. It's, it's bonds again at 3%. Mike, thanks. Mike Thank Wilson. you, Wilson. What did you do today? Uh, well, for me, I, you know, actually, and Tim was talking about emerging markets. So last week I bought some Brazil. This week I added to that position, or today I added to that position, EWZ. I think that's the way to play this. As you see a lower dollar, that's your kind of lower dollar emerging markets play. 275 isn't too far from here. No, it's not. It's around the corner. It could be, <laughs> right, it could be days away. I mean, it's been, a, I think, you know, passing 240 and then 250, it sort of gets easier Right. That, that is, I, I think that next move up gets easier. That that's my biggest fear, which is why TBT today didn't work. But uh, I, I feel like I've got to have some protection against that. Why do I thread the needle then? Why do I try and market time? I mean, if I if you I'm don't. really to believe that 275 right. no, is the is the place where things start to wobble and we're not that far away. And I've had pretty good gains from last year to date. Well, That's so, so here. here's what Karen's talked about. Uh, I think a lot, a lot of people talked about it. But, but, you know, what I started is throw nets underneath positions that I think are reflective of that. Emerging markets, for sure. There's a part of my portfolio that trade very actively. Why not match that up 2 or 3% out of the money? Um, and to me, I'm playing for expiration next Friday, by the way. I think we're right now, we're in a, a week to 10 days of craziness. I just assume protect for now in the short run. And that's to keep in these positions. I threw some more 
pedal to the metal once I was protected underneath. But but I, I think the stuff that was cheap and that's airlines, that's autos, and those are going to be places where the consumption effect is front loaded. If anywhere consumption, uh, those those are multiples I still feel comfortable owning. All right. We've got some breaking news here out of the White House. Let's get to Eamon Javers, who's on the ground there. Eamon. Melissa, that's right. The White House is now responding to a Washington Post report, which uh, reported that the president used a crude epithet when talking about immigrants from certain countries in a meeting here at the Oval Office at the White House earlier today. The Washington Post reporting that the president grew frustrated with lawmakers uh, in the Oval Office when they floated ideas for restoring protections for immigrants from Haiti, El Salvador, and African countries as, as part of that immigration deal that's been under discussion. The Washington Post quoting the president as saying, why are we having all these people from shithole countries come here. Uh, he also said, went on to say, according to the Washington Post, that the United States should have more people from countries like Norway uh, brought in under the immigration deal. The, the White House now issuing a statement, Raj Shah, the White House spokesman, uh, the statement does not deny that the president made that comment. Raj Shah saying, certain Washington politicians choose to fight for foreign countries, but President Trump will always fight for the American people. The president will only accept an immigration deal that adequately addresses the visa lottery system and chain migration, two programs that hurt our country and allow terrorists into our country. There's more to the statement here, but the important part of it is that they're not denying that the president made the crude comment. And that is going to uh, probably drive some media coverage here over the next uh, little while here. Melissa, back over to you. Wow. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers in front of the White House force this evening. Does this impact the Trump agenda, no. Grasso? No, I, I, I think this is actually what everyone expects out of the Trump agenda. So I, I, I think everyone's become <laughs> it's right numb, up there in the Trump agenda. <laughs> to the way he delivers, this is his personality. I think everyone, uh, you know, like him, hate him, or indifferent. This is what you know, what you get already. So I don't think it's shocking to anybody. All right. Although we were shocked on the desk. We were <laughs> right. Right. Amen. It's a little bit different. Said, all right. Coming yeah. up, it's crypto carnage on Wall Street as the major coins get crushed. But there's a coin you may never have heard of that's taking off. And BK says it's a screaming buy. Plus, score one for Intel. Check out shares of AMD sinking after hours. We'll bring you the very latest details on the chip wars right after this break. Get to work. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on AMD. The stock is sinking after hours. Let's get to Josh Lipton for all the details. Josh. Melissa, AMD now giving more details about its exposure to those two massive security vulnerabilities dubbed Meltdown and Spectre. Researchers disclosing those two flaws last week uh, that now have really the tech industry on high alert here. AMD saying that Meltdown is not applicable to AMD processors. The company saying that AMD processors are not susceptible there. But then there's also Spectre. Now, the company saying that Spectre is applicable to AMD processors. AMD says its architecture makes it tough to exploit, but they are working now with the industry with a combination of updates and operating system patches, they say, which are going to be available to customers and partners. Remember, initially, AMD said it had near zero risk to these threats. Now the company trying to further clarify its exposure. Intel CEO Brian Krasanich was on CNBC initially, and Melissa, remember, he said many companies would be exposed, that it wasn't just Intel. Take a listen. I can't tell you exactly on the other guys, uh, on the other products, exactly which ones are affected, but, but definitely most of the modern high-performance processors that you're seeing in your leading-edge products across that array that you talked about, phones, PCs, everything, uh, are going to have some impact. 
And Melissa, final point here. You know, Microsoft was distributing patches for the majority of AMD systems. Um, AMD saying they're trying to now correct this issue that paused the distribution of those patches um, for at least some of those older AMD processors. AMD saying they expect this issue to be corrected shortly, and Microsoft should resume updates for these older processors, they say, by next week. Melissa, back to you. Is there any word as to why AMD didn't just come out initially and say, we've got these vulnerabilities as well, we're studying the issue as to how widespread this is? You know, Melissa, they, they, I don't think they ever said they didn't have any vulnerability. You know, they were careful right. in that language. They, they certainly said they had, they had near zero risk. Um, perhaps studying it more, they've now tried to clarify what that risk would be, at least to Spectre, uh, on that issue, Melissa. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton uh, from San Francisco with all the details there. You know, we did see Intel shares at least underperform its peers pretty much year to date because of the um, the news that there is this vulnerability out there. Well, and, and, and we questioned, one, how, how, how true could this be, first of all, if everyone's known about it and, you know, now it's coming out. But also, I think the real question was, we know... We know what we don't know with, with Intel, but we think this is going to help AMD, and that's really the trade. And, and that's why I think the price action is the way it is. I think it's as simple as that. I think people tried to play this through AMD. Obviously, Intel suffered. Um, until we get more clarity, I, I still think Intel is but the I, place. But I, I wonder if now, because AMD traded up 20 percent, to your point, uh, Intel traded down 10 percent. But now if there's some grayness in the environment now where it's not a flat win for AMD over Intel, I wonder if you start to see people say, let me go back to Intel if there's no difference, period. So you could see that reverse happen as well as it just happened in the last week or so. All right, we have to move on here. Uh, time for some stock jeopardy. The answer, this Dow stock is surging. Here are the clues. It's got a market cap of $166 billion. So far this year, it's the second best Dow performer and it's up 9%. And last year, it was the worst performing Dow stock down 45%. Do you know what it is? What is General Electric? That's right, cue the cheesy 80s music because the blue chip stock is surging in the new year, making quite the comeback for a very rough 2017. So is 2018 the year of GE? Tim hopes so. He's been long. Well, before, I think we have to answer, who was that cheesy vocalist? I have was no that Pebo Bryson? Sounds was like cheesy Pebo? Pebo? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go... People, oh, it's a that's GE not commercial. I'm so sorry. It was a GE commercial. But, but anyway, yeah. it was a GE commercial. Yeah, it could have been it's definitely people. Well, they overpaid for that one, too, then. Um, <laughs> look, the, the, the reality is uh, when you cut EPS by 50%, when you cut free cash flow expectations by 50%, and you leave it with a nice, clean buck uh, for 2018, <laughs> <laughs> Tom Jones. It's I don't terrible. know. It's very, no, no, Tom Jones no. wouldn't do that. That does that. not oh, sound like no, What's like new, Pussycat? Come well, on. I mean, he... Anyway, look, bottom line here... I believe that the sentiment on GE got so washed out in 2017 that that's what this is. Um, I think with possibly 20 billion in spinoffs, uh, with Baker Hughes, I think worth more than it was uh, even two months ago. Um, the fact that if you think that that financials do better here and that this is not a bad environment to be in credit and to have exposure to the economy, GE Capital still has 140 billion in assets. So I don't think earnings turn around too quickly, but I bet Buck is on the low side. That's what I bet. Well, I think that the, the energy part is interesting, but just look at the stock. The thing that it has going for it is it's so levered, right? So if we're in a great environment and yeah, they exactly. can start to really move things, then that valuation all falls to the bottom, to the stock price. Then it could really be juiced Sounds up. Sounds like you're interested. Kind of interested. More in uh, Baker Hughes GE.
Yeah, so I've been in and out of GE, so I'm a bit of a scorned lover, and I have not liked it for for a while. But I've been rethinking my my, my I've been rethinking my thoughts on this. That's very. <laughs> uh, but here, here's here's what I, I I agree with you guys in that you, you have to believe that there's going to be a turnaround and there's going to be surprises in this, right? So if all the bad news is out, then presumably. All there is are surprises, and those could be the catalyst for the stock. So I don't think you get hurt, and I would start to nibble out of here. Yeah. I mean, if we enter into a normal reality, back to the 2017, where the true leaders in tech really start to gain again. I mean, we've seen this nirvana where you, you have everything rallying at the same time. This is definitely, to our point, a laggard. If you get that back, which I think you will in, in the first quarter, this is going to be a sell once again. So it's only rallying because everything is rallying. Yeah, I think I think it's just being low, rising. What, what, tide is get, what does get that back mean? And it's going to be a sell me. Back to, I, I don't really understand that. If you go back to tech outperforming, if you go back to Fang, if you go back to Stab, if you go back to gotcha. energy materials and industrial non-cyclical and and non-value plays outperformance is what we've had. You reverse that. I think this think is this, this is price. definitely a dog showing some sorts of life to it. And if we don't get everything lifting at once, this will be the first one to be let go. Coming up, Bitcoin is sinking as it continues to fall from its December highs near 19,000. There's another coin, though, that BK here says could be your ticket to crypto paradise. We'll reveal that name. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Mr. Moving Energy? Oh, for God darn, darn. Don't worry, because another group of stocks closely tied to oil's fate is also surging, and our traders see more room to run. Plus, the last time Karen pitched a stock, it surged 12% in a month. Now she's got a new name that's hit a 52-week high today, and you won't believe just how high she sees it going. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Cryptocurrency is getting crushed as one of the world's biggest crypto markets is gearing up to crack down on trading operations. Bob Bassani is breaking it down from the NYSE. Hi, Bob. Hi, Melissa. Regulators everywhere are taking a closer look at cryptocurrencies. South Korea's Justice Ministry said it was preparing a bill that will ban all cryptocurrency trading. The country's one of the biggest markets for major coins like Bitcoin and Ethereum, as well as Ripple. And the Wall Street Journal is reporting that China is ordering the closure of Bitcoin mining operations. They've already shut down exchanges that trade cryptocurrencies. So this is ramping things up a little bit. And a U.S. Senate panel is holding a hearing next month with top market regulators on the risks cryptocurrencies pose to the U.S. financial system. Elsewhere, for all this ruckus around Bitcoin, have you noticed that Bitcoin has been fairly quiet since Bitcoin futures started trading on December 10th on the SIBO? It traded in a wild range going into that, but other than that brief blip up, it's been basically between 13 and 16,000 since then. Pretty quiet compared to the wild rides of Ripple and Ethereum, for example. There may be something to the argument that the introduction of futures has made Bitcoin less volatile. Or maybe, Melissa, your show is the reason volatility is lower. You introduced the Bitcoin bug. That was around December 17th, as I recall. That's right as the CME Bitcoin future started. Maybe it was you who topped out Bitcoin. Who knows? Finally, notice that Ripple is the only big cryptocurrency up today. And for good reason. They inked a deal with money transfer company MoneyGram. The partnership will have MoneyGram test the Ripple infrastructure for use in transferring funds around. That's a big piece of news because that's the purpose of Ripple, transferring money between financial institutions. Back to you, Melissa. 
All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani. And we were talking about that um, with one of the creators of Ethereum, the use case right. and how you value a coin could also include what the use case is for the platform, right? Yeah, and, and I think people are looking for the most interesting use cases to derive the, 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 you know, the highest multiple for their coin. But, but again, I, I think valuations right now are, are, are really challenging. Um, it, that doesn't mean, you know, the, the... Across the board. It doesn't mean the reason for being and, you know, the proof of... of, of the, the, the proof case is, is not being proven right now, but I, I, I think people are buying because it's going higher. I got a question for BK, actually. Oh, okay. oh he's so, here. Okay, good. So the China mining thing, is yeah. this great news for all the other miners in the world? Yes, it is great news. So about 70, 75% of the mining is in China right now. So the question is, a lot of those Chinese miners are moving out of China. They've already started this process. So this is not necessarily new news. The real question for Bitcoin is, is how quickly can they ramp up in other parts of the world? So Michelle had some, a, a great report today from Washington State big Bitcoins mines there. It's very positive in the sense that you don't want to have all your mining concentrated in one country because then that kind of is a, a centralized type of thing. So if we can get this dispersed across the world, in the long run, this is actually going to be quite positive for Bitcoin. In the short run, you could see some hiccups. You could see the network slow down. I don't, I don't think anyone buys this on valuation. I don't know what valuation you could be, you could be looking at. So I, I traded around the peripheral. So I trade it with Overstock because then you deal with. You're uh, buying that on valuation? No, because there's no valuation. <laughs> you just, right, said, just, that, you just sure. said that you were afraid of valuation in Bitcoin. I, I heard you talk, talking about stocks. What's valuation? I'm What's asking you. Off of? I'm asking you. You said Steve. it. I'm, you, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไม่ได้ไ
right? They're going to get their margins lower. I got to look, go out there and look. So now who do I look for? Somebody that's very similar to, to Ripple that has a deal with IBM and I can get bigger margins or, or at least I can make more money like MoneyGram wants to do. And the partnership with IBM, again, that, I think that's very important here. And we talked about how IBM doesn't get enough credit for what they're doing. Now, let's look at the chart. Let's look at what's going on here. Okay, so Stellar, here you go. You had this big, big run. That's all on the IBM news. Boom, we're down here. It's trading at about 55 to 60 cents or so. I think you get another jump up there as more news starts to come out and more people start to look to use this technology. Hi, BK. Hi. Hi. Good question for you. Yes. How big is the market cap of Stellar right now relative, and where do you think those would potentially converge, or what do you think the, the future upside could be? Yeah, I, well, so the, the market cap on all of these things are, are somewhat outrageous, and, and by, by that I mean outrageous when it comes to stock parameters. We're talking about currencies here, so they can grow to the size that they need to grow. Uh, Ripple, in a sense, or where do I think it can go on the upside here, trading 55 to 60 cents would not surprise me to see this thing over a dollar, so a double, especially if they announce some kind of news or if anybody comes out and says, hey, we're going to be start using this uh, like MoneyGram is. BK, play sales trader for me. On a day like today and a week we've had where things have been pulling back, what are you seeing in terms of the momentum? And, are, are, you know, are, are there scared sellers out there? Think about the hands that are holding this. There are not a lot of strong hands out there, so to speak. What are you seeing? Yeah, you're, what you're seeing is you're seeing U.S. investors buying, Asian investors selling. And that's created this dynamic where Bitcoin's been just trading in this very large range. What exchange can you buy a seller on in the U.S.? Uh, you can buy a seller on the Bittrex exchange and on the Poloniex exchange are the two that I uh, have used. All right. Thanks, BK, for that My crypto pleasure. class. Still ahead, two major sporting events, the Super Bowl and Olympics. They're both just around the corner. And they're giving a major boost to one group of stocks. We'll reveal what those are. Plus, Karen has made her way over to the plaza. She bumped out BK. Yeah. She's warm enough to pitch the one soaring stock she thinks could fly even higher. But can she convince <laughs> the other traders? Careful. Find Careful. out when she delivers her fast pitch. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Now, back in July, Karen said GM was going to rev up. So I got a lot of reasons why you should buy it. The first one, for me, always valuation. So at a PE multiple of six, which is ridiculously low, probably the lo one of the lowest in the S&P, and a dividend yield of almost four and a quarter percent on a valuation basis, this is just ridiculously low. Uh, Karen was right. Since that call, the stock is up more than 23%. So what are you doing now? I'm doing a new one now. Another pitch. But are you, you're, wait, wait, you're with, you're still in GE. I'm still, no, I thought you meant, no, uh, you, I thought you meant the... right now. You oh, mean no. with the stock. <laughs> uh, GM, I'm still in it. I still think it's cheap. All the things that were, were true then are true now. The market's a lot higher, of course. We do have a tax cut. That's good for them. Still in it. All right, so Karen's on a roll. So now... Why don't you pitch us your next stock? Now I'm going to do that. I'm going to walk over to the plasma and pitch you my next stock. All right. This stock today is Delta. A lot of action in the stock today. It's been up, but I still think that there's a great value here. That's always what I turn to first, valuation. So they upped their guidance today. Uh, they think the average was about, or the midpoint was 652. So on a PE basis, 
It is very attractive. Now, I understand it's a cyclical and PEs are not going to be the same in the cyclical as they're going to be for the market at large, but I still think there's room to run here. So we've got a lot of economic momentum. And we've, the conference call today, they talked about seeing growth around the world. They talked they're going to have revenue growth from transatlantic, they're going to have Latin America growth, they're going to have domestic growth, and they're going to have Pacific growth. They talked about all cylinders hitting which is really what you want to hear after having a little bit of a difficult time in the second half of last year. So this economic momentum is really important. If we look at a stock versus not just the S&P, where is this here? There we go. Not just the S&P, but also look at the Euro stock index. Delta is far behind. I think there's a lot of room to be made up there that is underperformance relative to where it could be. So that's the second point. The, uh, there's an, a few other points that I want to get to. I don't have time for all of them because there's so many good things that happened on the conference call. I loved how excited they were. Chasm, that's cost for average seat mile. They talked about non-fuel costs of 0 to 2% and a lot closer to 0. That's really important, and that's what's going to help their margin. That's what's going to help them earn more. One more thing they said, that the business traveler was not included in their projections that they made for last year, which did include the tax cut. But business travel is going up. That is a great margin customer. All that having been said, Delta Airlines, even though it was up, I still own it. I still like it right here. Hi, Karen. It's Tim. Hi, Tim. I am a Delta holder. Um, I like the company, but I was worried today on this call. Um, they talked about fuel prices being, you know, roughly seven bucks higher than they were for the last investor day, and yet they're keeping their top line four to six bucks in, in terms of growth intact. That doesn't totally make sense to me. Also, very noisy in terms of changing conventions, conventions in terms of EBIT, uh, going from Prasm to Rasm. I mean, you know, I, some of this stuff was a little too, too funky for me. Well, obviously, they have the refineries, so they get a little bit of a, uh, some benefit there on the fuel costs. But they also raise the scepter of maybe being able to add fuel tax surcharges. This administration might be open to it. Other ones haven't. That gave me a little bit of comfort. All right, time to vote. Are you buying or selling Karen's pitch for Delta? Steve Grasso, what do you say? Sure, whatever Karen says. <laughs> I think Delta has underperformed <laughs> the space. I think it does have tremendous uh, upside from here. And if the transports continue to perform, Delta probably has an outsized gain. All right, there's a buy there, BK. Uh, yeah, for BK, it's not a flyer. It's a buyer. I think this one, I, I like the breakout on this one. And anybody who can uh, pitch a frozen rope in those heels gets my vote. <laughs> Tim? Big buy, wow. big buy. Never ceases to amaze me how sentiment in the airlines can be all over the place on the same news, which is really what it's been for the last six months. Stay in this name. Clean sweep here on the desk, but did Karen's pitch for Delta make you want to get on board the stock? Head to Twitter right now. Vote at CNBC Fast Money. The results later on in the show. Plus, while everyone's focused on the move in energy stocks, quietly solar stocks are shining. The solar ETF hitting a two-year high today. We'll tell you what's behind the move. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Well, everyone is focused on the energy rally. Quietly, a group of stocks closely tied to the group have been shining and actually hitting a multi-year high today. Breaking it down to Seema Modi from the newsroom. Hi, Seema. Melissa, oil prices and traditional energy stocks aren't the only thing heating up these days, Melissa. Just take a look at how hot solar stocks are. One proxy for the industry is the Guggenheim Solar ETF, ticker TAN. Shares have hit their highest level since early 2016. It's already up 6% so far year-to-date and up 50% over the course of the past 12 months. This is an exchange-traded fund that has around $475 million in assets. And some of the top holdings include well more, include more well-known names in solar energy. 
SunPower is among those names, up 13% just since the beginning of the year. Canadian Solar gaining 3% in that span. And First Solar, the biggest weighting of the fund, also up 13% year to date. A lot of the gains in some of these stocks is the result of trading today, helped along by positive analyst commentary by Vertical Group about First Solar. A big caveat here is that many of these solar stocks are still a long way from hitting their multi-year highs. So, Melissa, hot solar stocks, yes, over the medium term, but still pretty cool compared to where they were even just three to four years ago. All right. Thank you, Seema. Seema Modi in the newsroom. Karen, what do you think of solar right now? You have been in and out of solar. Yeah, I have one position in the space, solar edge in the inverter business. There's potentially a little bit of pricing pressure there. You know, a couple of years ago, when oil just fell out of bed, the solar trade completely died. I'm surprised, though, that they got it didn't, it didn't get as hurt by the tax bill as they could have been. Right. It could have been worse. Well, options traders are betting on a golden rally for one solar stock. Let's get to Mike Co out in Austin, Texas, where things are looking pretty hot. Whoa! Hey, Mike. Dude. Hi there. Yeah, so looking to harness the power of the sun and harness the power of options. First Solar saw more than four times the average daily call volume today, and where we saw the most activity were fires of the January 75 calls. 3,700 of those were traded when I looked at the midday for just under two bucks, over 4,000 by the end of the day. And so buyers of those are making bullish bets that the rally will continue, and First Solar could top $77 by the end of next week. Possibly some of that related to news that Trump might actually put on some protectionist policies. That's a tailwind for First Solar. Hey, Mike, are those blue blockers? <laughs> <laughs> They're not blue blockers. These, are, these bad boys are Oakley right here. Oh, of, co- of course they are. Well, you, that must be a black, well. a black light poster from your, your bedroom behind you. <laughs> I thought he was doing a cannabis trade. <laughs> I really did. That's that's right. that we're we're that you need these for the that too. Right <laughs> Mike, thanks. Looking pretty cool in that hot studio. <laughs> for more options action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, are you with Karen? Do you see Delta stock soaring past its 52-week high, or is there turbulence ahead for the airline? Oh Vote oh in our my. Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Results later on in the show. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some breaking news on Fiat Chrysler. Let's get to Phil LeBeau, who's on the Fast Line. Phil. Melissa, this is a big announcement from Fiat Chrysler, all uh, in relationship to the savings that the company is going to be receiving from the new tax law. It will be investing $1 billion in the Warren heavy-duty truck plant, and as part of this, it will be moving its Ram heavy-duty production from a plant in Mexico to Michigan. As part of that move, it will add 2,500 jobs, and finally, the company is saying that it will give it's 60,000 hourly and salaried workers in the United States, a bonus of $2,000. And that's in addition to the normal profit sharing that the company does every single year. So, again, Fiat Chrysler making a big statement saying because of the changes in the tax law, it's, it's time to invest in its footprint in the United States. It's moving the Ram heavy-duty truck production from Mexico to Michigan, adding 2,500 jobs and investing a billion dollars at the Warren truck plant in Michigan. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thanks a lot. Phil LeBeau uh, with the latest on FCAU. There are a few things that this really hits at. First of all, it hits at the impact, the positive impact from corporate tax. It gets at the immediate uh, depreciation of capital uh, expenditures, right, because they're... Bringing it back. Right, exactly. And it front runs any changes to NAFTA. 
I mean, it's, it's really a stroke of genius it's, on the part of Fiat Chrysler. It's very bright. Um, you're also seeing Toyota announce that they're putting new plants uh, to work in Alabama and putting more jobs. And in fact, the, you know, the, the big three will be challenged by uh, global automakers to, who will probably be building more cars in the United States. This is, you know, it's a manufacturing hub again. Um, and, and the move, by the way, in Fiat Chrysler has is, is been astronomical since late December. Yeah, I think this is a big deal. This is a big deal for the country. I mean, we, we, we've seen some of these moves prior to the tax cut. You know, we're going to add a couple. We're going to have three jobs in this country or in this uh, county here or that. This is moving a plant. This is a billion-dollar investment. And to Grasso's point at the top of the show, you, this is not priced into the market. How can prices we not go up, though? Huh? How can prices, prices not go up for cars? Labor, for yes, but even, but even the argument for steel. staying in NAFTA, NAFTA is that the auto parts makers are in Mexico as well, that there's a whole supply chain, right, built around the fact that factories are in Mexico. So if all of a sudden this factory is going to move to the United States, there's got to be an extra cost to revamping the supply chain. There, I mean, it's, right? It's it has to there, be. There has to be, but you would think for people who say that it was just a corporate tax cut, there's going to be more money in workers' uh, paychecks, more money in their wallets, more money to spend. I mean, it is a great tax cut that we don't even see. More benefits. inflation. Yes. Well, we don't see the uh, benefits. Well, you just yet. said, I, I hear more inflation is what, what, I, what rang in my ears. You, you said it was a corporate tax cut at the top of the show, and I'm saying it's not just for corporations. I think this will have domino effects through your trickle down that you use in a derogatory way. I think that it's going to be a great tax cut for the country. We got to take a break. Did Karen's pitch for Delta make you want to buy the stock? Still time to vote. You can head to Twitter right now. Make your voice heard. The answer right after this. Welcome back. You know what's good to listen to on long flights? Yeah, sad songs. Oh, no. Tony Braxton's Unbreak wow. My Heart. That's what America <laughs> is not buying Karen's fast pitch. Look how America, sad you are. You actually okay. Sad. It's okay. America I get it, though. Here's the thing. For her. You know, oh, man. Oh. hard to buy stock up a lot. Yeah. But if I went home oh. long, it's the same as I bought it on the clothes. Time for the final trade. Tim. Well, I'm happy for her airline call. I'm going to go with United Airlines. This is the trade I'm also long now. Stay there. Karen. Well, if I did it for my pitch, I kind of got to do it for my final trade. Delta Airlines. Boom. <laughs> BK. Well, BK doesn't know a lot of things, but more money in people's pockets, oh. they buy Apple. Steve Grasso. Well, here's a trade that is on that climb. Avis budget. Started uh -huh. talking about that at 35. It's traded at 48, making that climb to 70. Tim gets a chance to be wrong on this trade as well. Something you know well, Steve. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.